Guys, thank you guys so much. Uh, we have been talking in this series, this short summer series, about songs and how uh, powerful music is in our lives, right? Uh, some of these psalms that we're looking at are available. They've been re-recorded, and that's a version of a Shane and Shane one. Uh, you can go to our website, backslash psalms, and you can get that Spotify uh, list where uh, some of these songs have, some of these psalms have been re-recorded, kind of put in modern um, form, and uh, you can enjoy that as you drive, as you listen, and get God's Word uh, in our hearts. It's been said that uh, Judaism and Christianity are singing religions. Uh, more so than even other religions, we were created by God to sing. And uh, in the Christian scriptures, over 200 times, we are commanded to sing, or some version of the word sing, a song, or saying occurs over 200 times. And I was doing some research this week and uh, found out that in the course of Christian history, uh, more than 500,000 hymns and psalms, songs, written uh, to celebrate our God. Christianity is a singing religion. And if you think about that, and we know that music is powerful, but there's not a lot of times just in our life experience that we gather with other people and sing, right? I mean, you don't go to work in the morning and your boss say, all right, hey, let's start the day off with a, with a song, okay? And I just realized that I forgot, I see people, I forgot to tell the kids to get the uh, coloring books, didn't I? Totally forgot. Kids, if you need a coloring book, uh, go back there and get a coloring book. Parents, if you need a coloring book, go get a coloring book. I usually make, I usually say that and make fun of people, but over the last uh, month or so, I've been coloring with my kids, and I've found it actually kind of re quite relaxing and fun. Uh, so I take all that back. If you need a coloring book, uh, go back there. But I also realize that I got to hoof it here because I used up all my time earlier. So we got to cruise. So Christianity is a singing religion. Uh, we come together and we sing. We've been commanded by God. It's not just prelude to a sermon or to communion or something, but we've been commanded by God to sing. And recorded in our scriptures are hymns and psalms. And in the Old Testament, we have a whole book of poems, psalms. And so today we're opening up to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, and we're going to read this. Uh, I'm going to actually ask Lauren Rogers to read this for us here in just a second. And I also forgot to uh, give Lauren the mic. See, I, I'm, I, I'm rusty. I've been out for two weeks, so I'm kind of not on my game here. There you go, Lauren. I'll have you read that in just a second. Uh, but these psalms are God's word to us penned by, penned by people like you and me, people that struggled, people that messed up and had to confess their sins, people that were desperate, people that were, uh, as we've talked about in weeks past, David was running for his life, threatened by other people. He's crying out to God, people that were in deep lament, sad, and they're writing things, they're singing things to God that ask questions like we looked at a few weeks ago in Psalm 13, how long, O oh God? How long is this going to go on? I look at the news, I look at things that happen daily, and I think, God, how long? How long will the world be like this? So one of the things we've appreciated in the book of Psalms is just how honest that they are, that they span the gamut of emotions and experiences. So there is lament, there is confession, 
There is even judgment. There's these laments. We haven't looked at one of those. I haven't been brave enough to do that. Where the psalmist cries out, you know, judge the evildoers, dash them against the rocks. When's the last time you heard someone pray a prayer that honest? God, dash my enemies against the rocks. So the psalms span the gamut of emotions and experience that we find. And then it culminates. The number of psalms that have the uh, message of praise outnumber all those other types of psalms. There's a lot of lament psalms. But the psalms that outnumber all of them are one that we're going to look at today is a, a, a psalm of praise. Because the Bible would teach us that the ultimate expression of our life, the ultimate use of our life, the purpose of our life is ultimately to give praise to our creator, to live our lives in a, in a way that worships the God who created us, loved us, and sent his son Jesus to bleed for us. Our lives are to be life of praise, and this is a psalm of praise. And as Lauren reads it to us, you will see it just ooze out with love and affection and praise for God. So follow along with Lauren as she reads these 21 verses to us, and then I'll pray and we'll dive in here very quickly. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth from the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and in and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Father God, as we open up your word, these wonderful words of David here, this psalm of praise. God, would you work in our hearts um, to make us people who praise you every day, forever and ever. God, and for many of us in this room this morning, these words are not what's on our heart right now. This is not um, the cry of our heart. These are not uh, true to what we feel this morning, but God, I pray that by your spirit and by the gospel, 
you would make us people infatuated in love with you, God, and that our lives would praise you, our lips would speak of you, and you would get glory through our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The point of the psalm is uh, not very difficult to discern, is it? I mean, over and over, it's about praising God. And as the whole structure of the book of Psalms leads us to this conclusion that we, our lives are to be about praising God. So there's lots of different types of psalms that I said, but these last six psalms in the 150 psalms are all praise psalms. And uh, this, though, there are many psalms of praise, this is the only one that's titled a song of praise. But if you look in the psalms that follow this, Psalm 146, Psalm 147, all the way through Psalm 150, they all begin with this command, praise the Lord, and then they all end with the command, praise the Lord. So the point is obvious as you've gone through the Psalter, as you've gone through this collection of Psalms, that you end this book with saying the main point here of everything, of all the Psalms, is that our lives are to praise God. Said in a New Testament way, uh, let me take us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, I love this, as Peter writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some translations say that you may proclaim the praises of God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into life. Our life is ultimately formed and created to praise our God. John Piper says it like this, that the point of our lives is worship. And he says, worship, or excuse me, mission exists because worship does not. Mission exists because worship does not. We're all supposed to be about praise. And you see the extent of this praise uh, clearly, as you look at the psalm, it begins and ends by showing us the extent as we are, I extol you, my God and King, and bless your name. How long? Forever and ever. And then verse 2 starts every day. That's the title of this sermon, every day, forever and ever. Look how he ends the psalm. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name. How long? Forever and ever. And who is it that's supposed to be doing this praise? Well, it says in one verse, all his saints, but he also personalized it in verse 1 as well as verse 21. He says, my God, my king, I will extol you. I will praise you. So he's about praise. But then he says in verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. What is he saying there? He's saying our job, parents, our job is to commend God to the next generation, to pass on the truth, to pass on, to share the mighty deeds, the mighty acts that God has done with those who come after us, that we would praise God and that the generation behind us would praise God. Kids, that's why we want you in here, because we want you to see that your, your parents and your parents' friends are worshiping God, that they're here to praise the only one truly deserving of praise. That's what our lives are supposed to be about. And we want to commend that, not just mention it, uh, not just say it, but commend, recommend that your life also be centered upon Jesus Christ, be centered about worship 
of God. It's easy to discern the main point of this psalm. Praise God. And praise God all the time, every day, forever and ever, and all people. Me, the generation after me, all his saints, and then I forgot to mention uh, verse 21, all flesh. All flesh will bless his holy name. That God has created all things and purposed all things for the praise of himself. That's fundamentally what we're about, what we are created for. What's not uh, so obvious as you read this psalm is that there's a, there's a teaching method here. And you can't see it in English, but it's there in Hebrew. And this is one of these uh, Hebrew psalms that is a Hebrew acrostic. Does anybody remember what an acrostic is? What's an acrostic? Some of our kids going off to college here, you know what an acrostic is, right? What's an acrostic? Anybody remember? An acrostic takes letters, and it's a mnemonic. It helps you remember, and the first letter of the sentence get, reminds you of the point, right? So the only one I remember, does anybody remember an acrostic? Richard has tons of these, but they're never helpful. Um, the only one I remember from school is Roy G. Biff. Does anybody, some of you are, what is Roy G. Biv, anyone? It's an acrostic to remember what? Glenna? What? Yeah, the colors of the rainbow, right? The order of them, there is an order, apparently. Roy G. Biv, R is red, O is orange, Y is yellow, G, green, and then it gets difficult, blue, I, what's I? Indigo, yeah, indigo, and then V is violet, right? That's how you remember. You had to take this science test on the colors of the rainbow, and you put it in an acrostic. Well, you can't see it in English, but what's happening here is every verse of this psalm begins with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it starts with what would be A, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, and that's about all the Hebrew alphabet I remember. Just kidding. Uh, uh, and it, it, each line, so it's this beautiful poetry to help them remember this and be able to sing this psalm. Obviously, only those uh, in here who know Hebrew can see that in the Hebrew Bible. But it's part of that reason of commending praise to the next generation. And it's put in a teachable form as an acrostic so we could, so they could, pass it on to their kids in a memorable way. I got a cruise here. <laughs> what the main thing I saw as I looked at this passage this week, okay, the main thing I saw as I as I read David's words here is I read this over and over again and I thought, you know what? David here, the word that came to mind is obsessed. He's obsessed with God. I mean, he, he is just putting descriptor after descriptor and superlative after superlative to describe who God is and how great he is. He even runs out of words. He, he just says his greatness is unsearchable. He's just obsessed with God. And so he just goes on and on. God is the king and great is the Lord and is glorious splendor of his majesty and we've seen his wondrous works and his goodness is abundant and he's righteous and he's his kingdom is glorious and he's powerful and he's mighty deeds and mighty acts and his kingdom is everlasting and he's faithful in his words and he's kind in his works and he, he upholds all the those that are falling and he raises up 
those who are bowed down, and he opens his hand to satisfy everything. He feeds everything that he's created. He's righteous in all his ways. He's kind in all his works. He's near to those who call on him. He hears our cries and saves us. Here's this God, this glorious, I love the contrast of this. His greatness is unsearchable, and yet he feeds every living creature that he's created. His greatness is unsearchable, but he saves those who cry out to him, to those who are broken, to those who have their face in their hands, who are bowed down. He hears their cries and saves them. He is holy and righteous, and he will punish the wicked, but he is also a God of mercy and the God who will save those who fear and love him from their sins. He is just obsessed with God. And obviously the question for me, the question for us this week, is this me? He is obsessed. He is consumed with God. What am I obsessed with? What would your good friends, your spouse or your kids or your parents say that you are obsessed with, that you are consumed with, you are obsessed with? Are you obsessed with God and the praise of him? If he's obsessed with God, I would say that often for us, God is optional. If he's consumed with God, too often I am comfortable with God. Comfortable. He's a nice addition to my life. He's something that can kind of fulfill me and make me a a more well-rounded person and and a better person. But... Oftentimes, we treat him uh, comfortably rather than, as David was here, consumed with how God has been faithful to us. Think about who David is here. He's a shepherd boy. His dad didn't even think he could make the lineup of who would possibly be a king, and, and yet God chose him. What a mighty act, as he was no one. And then here he is, this, this little guy, one of his the the youngest of his brothers, and then they're in this war against the Philistines, and it's this little brother, David, that slays a giant, the Philistine giant. And then God makes him king. And then he praises God because even as he's king, Saul and uh, even his sons are out to take his life, and so God delivers him from his pain, from his pursuers, from evil, and protects him. He falls on his face. He, He sins greatly. And yet God in his righteousness is still good to those who fear him and those who are bowed down. Friday morning, our men look at Psalm, look at Psalm 51 where David confesses his great sin. And in his great sin, still the New Testament calls David a man after God's own heart. David here though, we see in this Psalm, he is obsessed. He is consumed with God. And when we talk about worshiping God, we're not talking about beginning to worship something. We're talking about worshiping the only thing that's worth worship, the only thing that's worthy of worship. So as we talk here about what are we obsessed with, we're not talking about becoming worshipers. We're talking about, we're talking about worshiping the right thing. We're all worshipers. So here's a test. Here's a, here's a way to check your obsession. When you daydream, what do you daydream about? 
When you have extra time, what are you thinking about? Where do your thoughts drift to? What are you consumed with? What are you obsessed with? And is it worthy of your worship? We're all going to worship. The question is, are we worshiping the only one who is worthy of worship? Where do your thoughts go? Where does your spare time go? What do you dream about? What gets your attention over and over throughout the day and throughout the week? What is it that you're obsessed with? That is what we, in fact, worship. And David is showing here, us here that our lives and our worship ought to be centered upon God himself. It ought to be centered upon Jesus. How do we know it ought to be centered upon Jesus? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think, you know, and many of us have, have had weeks or a season or months where it's like, you know what, honestly, this is not my heart. I don't feel this way about God. Well, that's a good start. And just saying and confessing and praying, God, I don't love you as I should. I have to say that a lot. God, I trust you and I love you, but I don't love you as I should. Make me more obsessed. Make me more consumed with you, not my ministry, not my stuff, not my agenda, but make me obsessed and consumed with, with you, God. Part of it's just admitting we're, we're not where we should be. But God, draw us. Bring us closer. Show us the futility of the, uh, of the stuff that we chase, of the thing that I hold up as ultimate and show me what truly matters and how righteous and good and faithful that you are, God. I don't have time to... How does... Let me just, let me just mention three things, okay? How does... How does David do this? Number one, he reviews God's past faithfulness, okay? You see that in the first eight verses of the psalm. He reviews God's past faithfulness. Secondly, he remembers God's promised kingdom. Here towards uh, the end, verses 10 and on, he talks about the kingdom. He reviews God's past faithfulness. He remembers God's promised kingdom, and then he praises God in the, in the present circumstances. He reminds himself of God's character and God's faithfulness. You may be here this morning thinking, that's not my experience of God. I think God is angry with me. I think God, God would, would want little, if anything, to do with me. The words, these beautiful words of verses 8 and 9, hear them as truth this morning. Verses 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And those words, those exact phrases there are repeated throughout the Bible at least five times over and over. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in, love, in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is for you. He's good to all. I don't feel that. I don't experience that. Those aren't my words this morning. How do you know that? Here's how we know this ultimately. We know it as we celebrate communion this morning because God's greatest act, God's greatest deed, the biggest act of mercy and kindness we've ever seen of God is at the cross. And that's why we center our lives on Jesus Christ. That's why the cross is the symbol of Christianity because at the cross, 
God showed his abounding love and his mercy for all. Because in his righteousness, he could not let sin go unjudged. But instead of putting that judgment on us 2,000 years ago, he put that judgment on his son. So Jesus has absorbed every sin, every punishment, every judgment that you and I deserve. And that is grace and mercy and loving kindness to you and me. And that is the ultimate act, the ultimate deed that we know that these words that David experienced in in his soul can be ours and we can know them and experience them in our soul because Jesus, God's son, has come and bled for us. You know, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Some of you, I think, would lay down your lives for your families. I know you would. Some of you would lay down your life for me. Some of you would lay down your life for a friend. Those words of Jesus are true, but you know what Jesus did even a notch above that? He laid down his life for his enemies. You know who that is? That's me and you. That Jesus can say to those hate-filled people in Charlottesville, I paid for your hate. Put it away because I've dealt with it and melt before my grace that has forgiven your sin and your hate. Jesus didn't just love his friends because none of us were truly his friends. We rebelled against God. And yet he loved us in in our sin. He sent Jesus took our punishment on the cross and that he defeated that sin and death through his resurrection. So as we come to the table this morning, what are we doing? We are reminding ourselves because we come here every Sunday forgetful that God loves us so much that he bled for us. If someone lays down their life for you, you can trust them and you owe them your life. You love them. If someone lays down their life for an enemy, man, that's a heart-melting going on. And that's what we're reminded of when we come to the table this morning. That God is gracious, slow to anger, that his anger was put on Jesus so that he's not angry with his sons and daughters. Righteous in all his ways, merciful to all. We know his character because we know Jesus. And Jesus bled for us. Pray with me. Father God, every day, every week, I have to be reminded that you have loved me not because of my goodness, not because of my service, not because of my morality, but you loved me because you've loved me. You've loved me through the blood of Jesus, the most costly love we know. And I got, God, I pray that as we look at the cross, as we look at Jesus, you would convince every heart in this room of your mercy and your goodness to us expressed so clearly in Jesus. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.